Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and I'm sitting down today with Eisner, Harvey, and Schuster award-winning and nominated cartoonist and artist Ramon Perez to talk about his all-ages webcomic project, Kookaburi, currently funding on Kickstarter. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, first of all, I feel like I need to, as a also fellow 40-year-old, wish you a happy birthday, because I think that was, what, Thank like you. a week ago? Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, last weekend. It's uh, the last year of my 40s, so, uh, yeah, time flies. <laughs> I know. Celebrate those late 40s. I'm right there with you. <laughs> well, I caught up reading this, and I got this, since we're sort of same generationally, I got a, mm-hmm. a tank girl kind of Powerpuff Girls meets Alice in Wonderland vibe, but you know everybody brings their own filters to the table when when they read something. So tell me what it's all about. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, Kookaburi originally started off so as a web comic way back in 2007. When at the time, uh, so I've been freelancing my whole career. But at the time, I was working in kids books and a lot of editorial <laughs> advertising kind of work. And uh, my son, I had done a webcomic previously called uh, Butternut Squash and, with a buddy of mine. And I had joined Raid uh, maybe a year prior. And we had been talking around the circle um, of kind of just wanting to do more of our own stuff. And so we initiated a, a kind of a webcomics collective at the time called Transmission X, which then got truncated to TX Comics. And uh, we did quite well. And um, when I was planning to do uh, for this uh, collective was actually do a crime noir story. But as I started writing it and building it, it became a little bit um, too big for the web, if you will, if that makes sense. And so I was like, you know what? I flipped through my sketchbook, my idea book, and there's this like idea I jotted down and I just had written Kookaburi beside a couple of character designs. And I just liked the idea of creating a world where anything went. I could come here and play after a long day of work. 
uh, after kind of being, you know, in the stringent world of, of kids' books and editorial and advertising, I could let loose. And that's kind of how Kukuburi started. It was like, um, so like Nadia almost was like a kind of almost like a, a vessel for my kind of feelings at the time where she's just kind of stuck in this routine and was trying to escape. So basically the Kukuburi revolves around Nadia and the whole idea of, um, Alice in Wonderland kind of style story where she falls into a whole new world, meets all these characters, and there's this kind of sense of freedom and joy in this world, this escapism. But then slowly things bubble to the surface and you can never really leave your responsibilities behind. And she kind of gets enveloped in this uh, larger than her life sort of uh, tug of war between the powers that be in this realm kind of thing. And, and that's kind of like the simplistic version of it but at the end of the day i started off with a place to play um very much inspired by like uh, little nemo in slumberland um you mentioned tank girl i was a huge fan of tank girl jamie hewlett and uh, powerpuff girls were definitely on my radar back <laughs> in the day so it's like all, like all these things just kind of feed your imagination and uh they kind of live there and i think uh kookaburi for me was just a way to get a certain aspect of my ideas out that kind of silly, nonsensical, bizarre uh, scenario where there were no rules to confine me, or you know, uh, you know, just make 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 it make it too defining of a, I guess, a place where I had to live by, um, you know, reality, if you will, kind of thing. So and uh, so, yeah, I I planned it for about a six hundred page to seven hundred page run originally. And I, back then I even wanted to do a book, but back then it was very cost ineffective. And I had actually approached some publishers in the past, but it, publishing is a weird, weird world where it's like, you know, I had had meetings with Random House and they were like, uh, oh, this is great. We love it, but we need to make a few changes, you know, cause like we want to skew it younger yeah. or, uh, you know, the art style wasn't appropriate. Maybe like, you know, the, the girl was, the, the character was a little bit too feminine or, yeah. So I was just kind of like, I, I just want to do my own thing. So, yeah, you know, and hence I just continued on the web till, until uh, I could. And then till I couldn't, when my life got a little bit too busy, basically. And it's actually now almost probably a decade since I stopped updating consistently. Um, and it feels like a, a nice time to return basically to the world. I, fi I find myself in similar emotional state and it just seems to have drawn me back into the world that I created, you know, 15 years ago, basically. Yeah. So, so you started in 2007, if I'm yes. Yeah. 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 And, and then it went up to January of 2012 and you picked it back up in January of 2020, roughly. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think there's a couple of small sporadic updates in between here and there. You know, I would get some, you know, email over the years requesting if I'm going to finish other also hate mail. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> ah, you know, people, the, the expectation on the internet sometimes Fandom. can be kind of hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, my, my career took off around 2011, 2012 in, in, into the direction of kind of more mainstream comic books. Uh, something I'd always wanted to do and up until that point had had no real success, but, you know, the right project and then suddenly all eyes are on you. And um, yeah, that kind of just spiraled me in a whole new direction of a decade, pretty much. Like, I think I, I dabbled in, in mainstream comics up until 2011 here and there. I did a couple of one-offs for Marvel 
uh, DC as well. And, but it wasn't until 2011, 2012, when I, I did Tale of Sand, where that kind of was the impetus for me kind of going full tilt into comics for pretty much exactly a decade, really, um, where that became my primary uh, career, I guess, if you will. So right. yeah, it's interesting to come back and in a 10 year cycle to something that I left behind so long ago. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the title of Cotton Candy World, which felt like a, a very accurate description after <laughs> reading all of it, because it felt like a pack of Starburst candy exploded on my eyeballs. <laughs> like, I'm a color junkie and the, and the palette is like exquisitely vibrant. There's like all these <laughs> Easter egg tones, which yeah. feels really in pocket for, for the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's got a very definitive style. So how did you go about crafting that world in your head it's just like freeform uh yeah pretty much uh i think I, i'm naturally drawn to really bright it's actually like it was actually a deficit or harmful uh when i went to mainstream i was always over coloring things i would actually color like a cover for marvel and then literally desaturate everything by 50 percent just wow. to make <laughs> just to make it work um i think i grew up on because i grew up on newspaper strips that was like my first uh real uh introduction to comics uh so garfield uh, hagar the horrible mother goose and grim all that kind of stuff and that stuff is just brightly colored easter egg stuff you know Odie's yellow garfield's orange and there you go yeah um and i think that's kind of what just uh trained my color palette and um as for the designs of the characters uh and the world it was it was pretty much kind of like a, a whimsy in the sense where i would just kind of take certain elements of my own, um, I guess, childhood or my own imaginings regarding, you know, things I maybe sketched or drawn or thought about over the years. Uh, so like, like a bunch of the, uh, like the some of the, the monstrous characters are actually things I had drawn as a kid or, or something I had, uh, you know, I think like one, one character, the big white marshmallow guy, Zongs, is like, uh, he's a misinterpretation of one of the characters from Star Wars. Like he's like um, if, if you're a Star Wars fan, there's a character called uh, I think his name is uh, Muftak. I think he's like a white fuzzy character from like the bar, and this okay. is how I always I always imagined him. But when the toy came out, I was like sadly disappointed because I was like it had nothing to do with my imagining version of this character. So so just little things like that were just like I was I, I was taking these ideas I had as a child and kind of just realizing them with a skill set of a professional basically. Okay. Um, and yeah, as for the coloring, that would just like, like I said, I think it's my default natural coloring method basically from, from Sunday comic strips. Okay. Yeah. I, I fell in love with it immediately. I, was, oh, I really you. enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. There, there's... My, oh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I think one of my favorite uh, comments on the comic early on was um, uh, someone had commented where it was like, I love the colors so much. I want to lick my screen. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> and I was that like, okay, with, that's a win. That you know? fit with my Starburst analogy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there are lots of characters in there to, to fall in love with. One that jumped out to me was Rendo. He's, he's definitely one of the more fascinating ones, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, and I had to ask, so you have a, a purple quadrupus, like, yeah. so half an octopus quadruple. I had to put this together. It took me a second, right? Yeah. But, but he has this, this penchant for hats and speaking French. So yeah. where did that come from? Uh, I think, um, I mean, I love hats. I'm a, I'm a huge hat lover. And I think it, it was funny because sometimes, like when I first started uh, doing the, the comic, 
I had drawn up maybe three or four of the characters. So there was like Rendo, uh, Nadia, Nug, and Mr. Bones were like the four original, like in my sketchbook, basically. Um, and they're pretty much true to form for what they originally looked like with some slight modifications. <clears throat> um, but but I started to, when I started to lay out and plot out the story, uh, it really began with Nadia, her chameleon, and uh, she had to base it. She, her first encounter was um, Mr. Bones, and it kind of then played up from there. But the whole tangent of in the, in the beginning of the story where uh, um, Mr. Bojangles goes to meet Rendo in the opening sequence um, came out of the blue. Like, it wasn't planned, and I, I just started writing it, and I started drawing it, and it was just one of those things where the character kind of just took me on this journey where we meet uh, Rendo, and he's wearing the hat and all this stuff, and suddenly hats became a thing. Okay. <clears throat> and this whole side thing developed outside of my main story that I had originally planned, but I fell in love with it so much. I was like, all right, this, this makes perfect sense. And it's just one of those, those great nuances of when you're building a story that those happy accidents that happen when you, you kind of stray from your original uh, outline, basically. But yeah, I, I love hats. I would often wear the, you know, I have, I have a very vast collection of a uh, variety, not probably so as many as in the comic, but um <laughs> Uh, I do love them, so I like just the idea of uh, these creatures wearing human hats, I thought was kind of silly, whether it's a bowler hat or a flat cap or a top hat or whatever it might be, and kind of adding this idea to the power of hats um, was a kind of a natural evolution, because I think there is kind of like, in, 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 uh, in our world, hats, def for the most part, began, uh, or define class to a certain degree at some point or another. Now, not so much, but when they originated, sure. you know, only the elite wore top hats, the flat cap was probably a worker's cap, so on and so forth, right? So I just love, I love the idea of the power of hats. And so just to create a whole brigade with these magical hats that have power, just like made sense in my head and it just became a natural evolution of, of this weird tangent that my brain went on. Um, but yeah, just, it was just like a, but as for the character design of Rendo, like he was just like just doodling one day on the, you know, having a drink and he's suddenly drawing this character. And to be honest, I have no idea where he came from. And, but he's one of the most popular, like I've had friends make like here's little, made me little things over the years wow. and stuff like that. So it's, it's been great to, uh, to especially have these characters kind of inspire and uh, be enjoyed by readers, you know? Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of struck out to me is I've, I've really enjoyed some of the fan art responses to the campaign, mm -hmm. especially the origami recently. That was like, I yeah, didn't know that, where that came from. That was amazing. That is, uh, I'm just going to step out of the screen here for a second, but that was uh, by Joseph Wu, uh, who read the comic back uh, when it was first online. And he he made these beautiful like origami. This all folded from like, I think this is one piece of paper. Like it is just astounding. I suffer for the eye, I think, obviously, but everything else, right? It's just astounding, and uh, and he just was. I guess he came across the web comic and was inspired by the characters and took up the challenge of trying to um, make the the origami out of them, and it was just blown away. But it was one of those one of those aspects that you don't ever consider when you when you put your work out there. 
And uh, back when I was updating regularly online, I would receive quite a quite a few. And it was always flattering uh, to see you've inspired someone so much where they'll will draw a rendition of your character or characters. You know, it's just it's mind blowing. But yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things when I went back and read it, and I I found it was refreshing about that particular webcomic presentation it was the narration that you had at the bottom. You got a small window into your life, what you were thinking, you know, what was going on. And I, I always say you can't dismiss the art from the artist, right? So uh, have you been surprised getting back into this, kind of relaunching it, reopening it, bringing it back to the world, you know, that kind of response? We talked a little about the fan art, cool. you know, has it always been that way? Has every, just everybody sort of resonated with these characters? I mean, back to the, obviously resurrecting something a decade later is always a worry because like the audience that was reading it maybe back then was 20 and now they're 35 or 40. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> it is weird to go back to something so long after uh, I had basically not updated regularly, but the, the story always stuck in my head. And um, of course I was very worried, you know, launching a campaign, a campaign for it because, you know, like, does anybody care, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you know, I want to finish the story, but does anybody actually want, you know, care if I finish the story or not? And um, it, so the, just the response has been overwhelming just to, to see people uh, excited uh, about the return of the story and the characters and actually just eager to find out what, what, where, where the story will go and unfold. So um I'm, I'm excited to have these uh, readers that, you know, have been patiently waiting for a decade or more to, you know, to come in and support. And I'm also excited at the potential of actually, you know, new readers discovering it through whether it's uh, the Kickstarter platform or, you know, uh, conventions when I have the book on hand or whatever it might be. Um, that's also exciting because then, you know, it has a whole new life in, in new readers' hands, basically. So. Uh, no, it's it's been it was a worry, and but I'm super excited with the, now how it's it's turned out and and returning to it and actually being able to go back and kind of uh, finesse the story a little bit more. Not having 15 years, 10 years experience now as a storyteller, as working in the industry, working with a lot of great writers over the years, um, it, it's just nice to go back to to make it live a little bit. Uh, uh, stronger in book form, basically. You know, the, it was always meant to be in book. That was my, always my idea. But you're updating for the web. You you, you kind of have a, a kind of particular cadence to your storytelling to keep updates exciting and regular. But that necessarily doesn't work in a book. So um, I'll be going back in quite a bit to <clears throat> expand and embellish the story a little bit for for print as well, which I'm really excited about. Well, the story itself, one of the things I found refreshingly different is that Nadia and, and the non-antagonist characters pretty much across the board, they aren't super powered. They're not exceptional. They're fantastical. Yeah. You know, it, but but the characters feel way more integrated into the landscape of the story as a whole mm -hmm. than than if you had Superman and, and how that <laughs> just natively, you know, brings him and distances him from everything else. Yeah. So I yeah, think yeah. It, it made them very, very approachable. It, you know, it fe the entire story felt like this wonderful amusement park ride. You know, <laughs> that's to great. Me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so what what made you kind of choose to to not give anybody superpower? I mean, they're dragons, right? And you have 
all all these these creatures but they're you know they're they're not you know jazzed i guess you know no yeah i guess i know i know what you mean i think um i've always loved um the kind of underdog uh elements uh like superman is a great character um but yeah he's all powerful he can pretty much do anything he wants um but i always fell in love with the idea of um these i guess uh i guess misfit like like, i'm trying to figure out a way to explain like like the misfit of uh what's that the i can't remember the name of the title the island of misfit toys i believe it was or something like that where you know they're 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 special in their uniqueness but they don't have they're like pretty much just regular people in their in their world and and the kind of idea in this world they're all just the monsters and the the weird kooky creatures and stuff they're for the most part they're just regular people in that world they don't have anything special beyond um you know maybe one might have an aptitude for something one might breathe fire for the most part but at the end of the day it's just you know they're they're no one's above and beyond more spectacular than the other character and i think uh that stems a little bit from i think me moving around a lot as a kid i'd always uh, kind of I, I moved around quite a bit and i'd always connect with the the uh the misfits at schools or the the alt kids and stuff like that and i think it was just a a, a normal scenario so this was a kind of i think a, a way to translate that into these otherworldly characters um and there, there, I have plenty more that are going to be coming along, and which kind of speak to that as well. They're like, and they, they look above and beyond their, uh, their different skins, and they're, you know, like, you know, ones like I said, they're, they're all vastly different, but they're all there to help each other out and, and get along. So I don't know. It's a, it's an element I've always enjoyed of, of uh, the, the whole idea of like monsters aren't necessarily scary kind of like mm-hmm. I, I think uh, monsters inc did a great job of this in in the pixar movie as well you know so i think that's just kind of my approach to those characters they're they're crazy they're flashy they're spectacular visually but at the end of the day they're just like you and me you yep. know yeah yep. hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline i don't think it's any surprise after this that you transitioned to doing something with jim hansen's world either because like <laughs> yeah. it's it's much the same you know yeah no yeah yeah i mean i I grew up on a healthy diet of the Muppets. Like and yeah. you could actually kind of see that sensibility in the Muppets. It's the same thing. They're all these misfits, you know, the comedian who's not the, the funniest guy. You got, you know, Kermit, the Miss Piggy and all that. And I think that definitely, uh, you know, formed my psyche quite a bit when I was a kid growing up. Well, I, people of our age, I think it just, you can't escape it. That's yeah. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. So you've designed all of the Raid Press books today, if I was reading correctly, the, yeah. the Kickstarter ones, yeah? yeah? So 
I wanted to get into Raid in a minute, but how excited were you to get to put your own project together, you know, book for yourself? So, and, and what were you just dying to make sure you got right or add in? What are lessons learned kind of thing? Uh, I mean, I think every book I do, there's a lesson learned. Uh, so I went to school for uh, graphic design um, and uh, children's book publishing. So in one aspect was actually book design and stuff like that. So it's something I really love doing. And and uh, working on the Raid Press books has been uh, uh, kind of a, almost a wish fulfillment and the ability to make these books as pretty as we can and try new things and interesting things with them um, uh, as a designer and like, you know, try out different papers and different finishes and, and that sort of thing. And with every project I do, there is a, a bit of a learning curve and, and we'll try sometimes uh, to experiment a little bit and, and try new things. Um, and with Kukuberry, it's, it's no different. Like, it probably is even harder with my own thing because I'm being that much more, I can be particular with other people's things, but at the end of the day, I let them have the final say because it's their book, not mine. I'm right. just coming in there to help them realize their, their vision, basically. So with my own, it's like, now I'm getting to, now I have two of me sparring with each other, trying to figure out what the best decision is for this book. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, it's, I'll be trying uh, a, a whole lot of, uh, I guess, with the book finishes. I'm, I'm still in talks with the printer uh, mid-campaign because I actually want to do um, kind of like a really special edition before the campaign is out. We're hoping to launch uh, one more version of the book, um, but I, I don't have the, the metrics yet from the, the printer, if it's, what, if it's possible, what I want to do. Okay. So it's like... I'm like, I'm like, I have a way, we literally have a meeting Tuesday morning with the printer <laughs> and, uh, and uh, to see if what I want to do is possible. If that, if I can do it, it'll be, uh, I'll, I will shut it from the rooftops come Tuesday, but, um, but it's fun just to experiment with like just the paper quality, the finishes, spot glosses, foil stamping, like, uh, everything. So as for like making like what, what I'm excited to do with this book, uh, Beyond the finishes, it's actually just, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's actually just, add, I'll be adding in about uh, 40 or 50 new pages to the story. Because um, what what's online now is about half of what's going in the book. Because uh, I'm breaking it up into chapters uh, to make it easier to kind of work on and then sell it. Sure. Each book will be a, a chapter. Um, so that's actually the most part I'm excited about doing is actually going in and uh, just finessing the story, the visuals, adding like page, pages between pages just to kind of have the flow work a little bit better. Um, and, and yeah, and that's, that's, uh, that's probably the, the part I'm most excited about is actually just to, to have this story be at a place where I envisioned it so long ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, let's dive into RAID or the Royal yeah. Academy of Illustration and Design. That sounds fancy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, what an amazing collective of creatives you guys got going on. So what is RAID all about, aside from it's centered in one of my favorite cities in the world? So. <laughs> really? Toronto, Toronto is a great city. Oh, yeah. yeah I love it here. It's, it's, it's truly, truly an awesome city. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so RAID basically uh, it's been around. It's our 20th anniversary this mm -hmm. year. And it started off with four guys, probably the most famous of which these days is Chip Sudarsky, who I'm working with actually on, on Stillwater for um, Skybound Entertainment. 
Um, so him, him and a few gra fellow graduates basically wanted a place to work together and uh, started a studio. And I was one of the first replacement members that came in. Um, and then I kind of just, after a while, the, all the originals left and I kind of just took over running the show and we began to just expand over the years. And, you know, what, what started as four became eight, became 16. And then just about a year before the pandemic hit, um, we moved into a, a much larger space and here basically, I think we expanded to about like a, enough to seat about 25 members. And, but we have like a, a street front gallery and uh, we have some meeting rooms in the back and stuff like that, a cafe. And we really want to build a community element. So it's actually kind of hilarious because the pandemic almost killed us in one way because a lot of members stopped coming in and, you know, and so we were down to like the bare bones, the skeleton crew, if you will. Um, but inadvertently it allowed us to actually do a lot of stuff as well and finish the space we were in because we had a lot of renovations to do. Uh, but right after the pandemic, uh, we welcomed almost like uh, a half dozen to 10 new members, um, which brought all these crazy new talent bases and, and personalities to the space, which is one thing I love. I mean, I've been part of now, I've been part of this space now for probably 16 years. And the thing I love about it, why I'm still here is because I just love being in a creative environment where everybody here is a storyteller in some regard. We all do different things. Some people work in television, some people work in um, kids' books, fashion, whatever it might be. Uh, but a lot of us are just, we want to tell our own stories, we want to do our own thing. And so the Kickstarter, the whole idea of Raid Press actually came out from, or it elevated from uh, what we originally started in 2017, which was uh, the crew at the time, we wanted to do uh, anthologies, just kind of get our own stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And basically we did that we self-funded and we put these collections out and just kind of having fun with our own stories but the pandemic uh you know uh you know allowed us to refocus our energies and with the new talent that came in the new personalities that came in uh really built up a wonderful team of people here that allowed us to kind of band together to create uh something that's actually viable like so we you know when we go up and do a kickstarter you know i might be designing the book i might be designing some of the graphics but we have another guy doing the video we have another guy doing the curation behind the scenes setting up our cross promotions and it just it works uh i wouldn't say it's a, a well-oiled machine quite yet it's you know it's a learning curve but uh it's it's pretty amazing to see everybody come together and each of our, every, like this team just uplifts every campaign that we've done. Um, and because they know when they do their campaign, everybody will be there for them as well, which is, it's been so wonderful to see that. And uh, yeah, so right now, Kukaburi is our, as a group, our fifth campaign together. And I, I'm, it just makes me excited to what's possible. So this, this, this collective here is basically a bunch of freelancers just doing their own thing, but we team up. And we work on projects together and, and, you know, whether they be our own, own things and sometimes it's for clients as well. Um, but it's, a, it's a really energizing creative space with 
people from varying walks of life. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, I I watched the the video that was on the website, the oh, comic yeah, okay. book artist next generation video, which yeah, was yep. Yeah, yeah. It was excellent. I've I've been a professional artist and I've worked with them for almost 30 years of my life. Oh, nice. And I don't I don't think most people understand the toll that mm -hmm. it can take take on you, you know. So listening to Francis articulate that, mm -hmm. you know, after working 10 hours a day and yeah. trying to to put that art into the world, I just don't think it's appreciated. You know, when when you pick up that comic book, the average reader just doesn't know how much you know blood, sweat, and tears goes in on an everyday oh, basis. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I hope everybody takes the time to go back, check it out on the website. It, it's a really, really cool video. So, yeah, yeah, that was that was a uh, yeah, that was produced by a, a good friend of mine, um, Stephen Christie and uh, FJ DeSanto, and they were they were awesome because they wanted to actually give that insight into the industry, which kind of wasn't it's not really like uh, people are really aware of like they, they know we work hard you know but like you don't really see that on the page sometimes you know like i mean obviously you see the work on the page but the amount of work is sometimes uh it, it's there's a disconnect with like you know, the other the 14 16 hour days sometimes that you're you're putting on the on the page especially as an artist because that takes uh the labor is a lot more involved basically you know, having worth work both sides of the the angle, um, you know, it, it it definitely is long days sometimes, but it's exciting. Like when when it actually gets out there in people's hands and they appreciate it, it's wonderful. But it's it's good to know that something's out there to kind of give them an insight. Involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've been in the business for for decades now. I hate to say yeah. decades because it makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Right. But let's say I'm a young illustrator artist, you know, mm -hmm. wanting to get into the comics business. I'm not going to ask you how to break in. That's a journey every individual has to go through. Pathways yeah. are different, right? Exactly. But, yeah. But how, what advice do you have for that, that person who's, who's trying to find their own artistic voice? Because I've had so many students over the years ask me that. I mean, I think it's, it's difficult because I think every artist to a degree struggles with what is their artistic voice and some kind of land on it quicker yep. and other, other people, it takes a lot longer to, to get there. Um, you know, I think a lot of us grow up, you know, you know, obviously delving into our influences, looking at different things. Um, and I think there's this natural transition point when you stop, stop directly looking. You're always, I think you're always looking, you're always absorbing from different arts around you. You're always being inspired. Um, but there's a point where you're kind of, you're so involved in the work itself that you kind of forget about that other stuff. And I think that's where the magic of your own voice kind of starts to come out. When you, when, it's almost like when you stop thinking about it, because you're too, and I, or at least that's how it happened for m myself. Like, because I, I was kind of thrown into so much work. Um, I didn't have a time to kind of always go look at my Oh, how would so-and-so tackle this? Or how would this guy tackle this? Like, I would just like, I, I have to tackle this. So I better get it done because the client will be unhappy. And, uh, and uh, you know, so I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those, um, I often tell people it's, um, I think there's two learning patterns to being an art, especially a freelance artist or a freelance creative for that matter. There's the, the slow aspect where you're, taking your time, you're learning your skill set, you're building your talent 
um, whether it's like, you know, your foundational elements, if you're an artist, for example, how to draw buildings, your perspective, your anatomy, and all that kind of thing. But I think there's another aspect where it's trial by fire, where you're just thrown into it and you don't have time to niggle with little details on the page or, or uh, you know, reference hunt for hours for whatever it might be. You're just having to do and get it done because oftentimes a, a, a client will go, hey, you know, I need this for, you know, 20 days from now and it's 30 pieces of artwork. Can you do this? And you're like, uh, yeah, I guess I can do this. And then you just yeah. dive in and, and do it. Um, and I found that that was kind of uh, often in my career uh, what happened. And because and you can see, like, I, I did a project uh, early on in my career where it was a, a graphic novel, uh, which I did over the course of uh, about two years. Uh, in small small installments and you could actually see probably you could probably if you were to look through it you could probably see my influences in every chapter because i was doing it over such a long period of time i was uh you know my i was wearing my influences on my sleeve if you will um uh, but then after you know my career took off that that kind of i didn't have time to do all the nuanced mm -hmm. shifting and uh i think that's where my own voice kind of started to emerge and then a project like uh, Tale of Sand was one where I was allowed by the client to kind of let loose. And that's probably my most me book uh, to date at that time, basically. Um, aside, yeah. of, aside, aside of my personal work, basically. But, you know, but yeah, it's a, it's a long journey being an artist, I think. And I, I, I also like to tell artists or creatives, don't compare yourself to anybody else along the way. Um, because everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own timeline. What might happen in two years for one person might happen in five or 10 years for you. And that's not wrong. It's just, that's your journey and that's fine, yeah. you know? Yeah, take take the idea and the conceptual idea of fairness out of it and you'll be much happier with exactly, your artistic yeah. journey. Yeah. No, it's true, yeah. Cause I know a lot of people can get a little bit uh, wound up about that sort of thing. Like, you know, why is, why is so-and-so having more success and I'd be working longer? Or, you know, and, and I'll be honest, it, it, it you know, it, early, in my early days, it, it crossed my mind a couple of times, but then I was like, you know, I, I struggled for 10 years trying to get comic work, but then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go do my own stuff and work on kids books and other things. And then when the time is right, the other thing will happen. It did, you know, and, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm quite the happier for it probably, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's circle back to, to Kookaburi. This is the, yeah. the first, first volume. Yes. Um, it, you're, you're definitely not putting this down. Where are we going from here after this Kickstarter is over? What's the next step? Well, the, the, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of putting a lot of weight on this Kickstarter for myself, basically, because as I said earlier, this is my 10 years in comics at this point, give or take, but it's a good decade. And uh, the, the project I'm working on right now for Skybound, uh, I'm, on, I'm doing the last story arc and that's ending by the end of the year. Uh, or at least my portion, my contribution to it. And then after that, it'll be released in, when it's uh, on its own schedule. But my hope as uh, an individual is to actually do Kookaburi and Raid Press full time in 2023. So I'm kind of pointing to the bleachers and really trying to make a go of working on my own independent creations and, and building a, a small boutique publishing press that can help 
you know, other creators do the same thing. You know, I, I had a, I had a lot of struggles um, uh, early on in my career trying to get my ideas out there, trying to get people to take them seriously. Um, I didn't have the right credentials or maybe I just wasn't as, um, you know, good at networking as, as I, you know, back then. Uh, so really just trying to create something that's a kind of um, a door uh, uh, to, you know, you, you might not be the biggest name, but here you got a good story. You, you got the art solid. Let's get your stuff out there and get people aware of it. Because sometimes some people just need that first book out there to then be taken seriously. Um, so yeah, I'm giving it my all and that's pretty much the plan moving forward. So ideally, should things work out, um, you know, knock on wood, uh, it's uh, a volume of Kukuburi a year uh, for the next five, six years, basically, okay. To, okay. to finish the story. Yep. So by the time this one is being released, I'll be probably a couple months afterwards, I'll be launching the Kickstarter for the next one and so on and so forth. And, uh, and I have a few other projects as well of my own that I want to get off the ground that I've been kind of scribbling away at and, and writing over the past several years. So uh, I know what I'm capable of a year and, you know, if things work out, then I can kind of balance that with Kukaburi and make that my full-time job. So um, that's the, uh, the, uh, the goal, basically. You know, I figure better late than never. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm eager to play in my own world again after 10 years of playing with uh, Marvel's characters and DC characters and all this other stuff and right. you know, collaborating with a lot of great collaborators, which I've learned a lot from, uh, just to take that knowledge and that skill set now and, and return to my sandbox, if you will, and, and build my own castles. Yeah, and, I mean. I always love to give full disclosure. I'm a backer myself. I was from the first day and okay. had the exposure, you know, through Forest Folk, which a okay. fellow Raid yeah. member was running, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you've already smashed your funding goals that, that were initially set out. We're on kind of the home stretch of the campaign. Yeah, five days, yeah. Yep. So uh, what are some of the, the cool funding goals we've hit so far, you know, that have been added? We, we want to encourage stragglers here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so basically there are two versions of the book. There's a soft cover and a hard cover that people can invest in. Um, and the contents will be the same. It's just some people like a hard cover. Some people like a soft cover. Um, they'll have different covers uh, for the extras that people will get on top of uh, for free, basically, if they if they purchase either of the books in the Kickstarter, you'll get a static cling, which are like those little great things you can put on a, a window or a computer or whatever it might be. It's, they stick anywhere uh, of the main character with a couple of the other fantastical characters. Uh, you'll get um, a poster, 18 by 24 poster of the whole cast in the world, which I it was kind of an impromptu idea. So I haven't drawn it yet, but it'll look awesome. Trust me. <laughs> And, uh, and so that, and then we were getting, um, uh, the next, the stretch goal we just cracked was, uh, what we're calling chase cards. So a chase card is basically like a rare card from a card set. So we're doing as raid press, we're kind of looking into doing a large card set in the new year as a kind of way to, you know, get people aware of what we're doing. It's a fun collectible way people can, you know, and uh, so each each creator will get their own set within the set of trading cards, okay. if you will. And uh, these chase cards are just kind of a fun, rare card that backers will get that go along with the main set, basically. Um, 
And then currently the the next stretch card, I was the next stretch goal we're uh, hopefully closing in on is a big sticker to everybody. Uh, there's three out there. You can vote on which one we do. Um, and that's pretty much the stretch goals we have right now. We have a few more planned, uh, depending mm -hmm. on the numbers. Sure. Uh, th things I would like to do is get everybody like a nice little enamel pin. We did, uh, we did some great ones, uh, for the forceful campaign, oh, which cool. are these okay. wonderful little nice enamel pins and they look great. So I, I would love to do one of, uh, maybe Rendo actually would probably be the, the best guy to do first. Um, and the earlier you back, there's also our backer rewards. So the people who back the earliest are getting a, a mini print, art print. And yes. then <laughs> and then the, anybody who backs, uh, who has a 600 and under backer gets a bookmark. Um, and if you're an 800 and under backer, you'll get a magnet uh, of Mr. Bones, which is the villain from the book. Excuse okay, me. Yep. Um, so we have a few more planned. And uh, we have some special editions, but I think they're all. Oh no, actually, I think they're. We have a sketch edition available still, which is basically the hardcover with an original piece of art by myself, um, uh, uh, featuring the Cuckooberry characters, basically. And um, yeah, and so, but at the end of the day, even if you're just buying the book, the regular book, you're getting a whole bunch of fun stuff thrown in uh, that you can stick around on your walls, your fridge, your books, whatever it might be. And whatever extras uh, we can still achieve, I'm, I'm happy to throw in there. Uh, so I think that's part of the fun of the Kickstarters, right? You just get all these little extras that kind of are unique to the backers of the campaign. So yeah, and just with just not the book, it's a little bit more. Well, take care of your hands. You're going to be doing so much oh, sketching. You're going to need a carpal tunnel. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I, uh, I estimated, I guess, how many sketches I could do after talking to a few artists who had done similar editions uh, uh, yep. as, as I've done. And I was like, okay. So I said, okay, I'll do 150. It's painful, but I can pull it off over X amount of months. So it'll take a little bit longer to do. So uh, there are a few still left, but if people want some original art, they are there. Um, but it's, it's fun. I get to draw my own characters doing and having fun. So that's always an inspiring thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we sign off, I always like to check with people who are uh, successfully launching crowdfunding comics campaigns. Mm -hmm. What ad what advice they would give to themselves, right? So you could step back before you started. Yes. Well, I think I think I had the luck of doing a few. I mean, yeah, there is there is a lot to prepare. You know, um, like we prepared for months before Kukuberry, and I still didn't feel I was ready because uh, you just don't know how the campaign's going to go and all the extras, you, it's hard to plan everything, right? So you just have to be ready to, to work on the fly while the campaign is going on. Um, uh, be ready to pivot, you know. Uh, luckily, because we've done a few campaigns already, I had a bunch of contacts already for, you know, a, a, a pin place, a print place. So I, I know the costs yep. offhand, so that definitely helped a lot. But if it's your first campaign, definitely source out uh, your costs beforehand. So, you know, what everything, um, will cost you, um, and prepare, uh, you know, so like if you're doing a stretch goal, for example, like make sure to cover all your costs plus a little bit extra, cause there's always going to be something that happens that costs a little bit more or shipping, you know, or I mean, shipping is yeah. another one right now, especially now shipping is quite volatile yep. It's shifting all over the place. So, 
Um, we found uh, after our first couple of campaigns, it was best to exclude shipping and do that afterward, just because the numbers were constantly changing uh, due to, I, I guess, delays around the world due to the uh, the pandemic over the past couple of years. Yep. And supplies and so and you know and if you're doing a book or whatever it might be you know contact your printer find out what it's going to cost for how many units you estimate or hope you will um need to get to basically cover your costs so um yeah just plan 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 basically you know um we have a we have a discord forum for the rate studio if you ever want to ask questions you can sign up to that um it's all off our website uh, we're always happy to share information. We're quite transparent with that kind of stuff because uh, the mo more more people that get better at it, it, everybody wins at the end of the day. So right, yeah. yeah. So where can everybody find you online? Uh, for myself, which my I was going to say my website, but I just got hacked during the campaign. Oh so no! My website is completely down. So um, right now, probably the best place to find me is. Uh, Instagram, which is uh, Ramon Perez, R-A-M-O-N-P-E-R-E-Z. Um, I hope to have my website back up in the next few months. I'm going to take the opportunity of the hack to just basically rebuild it from the ground up, make it more current, if you will. As you have to. Yeah. 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 So um, if, when that's back up, that'll be the same thing. RamonPerez.com. Um, uh, so those are probably the best two places to find me right now. But the Instagram being the more active and I have my, my links, all my links are on my, uh, on my page for Instagram. So it's, it's quite easy. All right. Yeah. Well, I was, I was in love with the style of this project from, from the beginning. Well, uh, I, yeah. I hope we've teased enough to encourage everybody to get in before the campaign ends. Cause it's an amazing project. Ramon, thanks for chatting with me today. And thanks for sharing your creative voice with all of us. We appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you. Much appreciated, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for listening in and see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.